Luke 24, then the beginning of the chapter begins on the first day of the week with Jesus' resurrection from the tomb. And just afterwards ends uh, the chapter with his ascension. Uh, But here he has appeared to his disciples, uh, shown himself as raised from the dead. And these words that we're going to read, starting in verse 44, are some of the truth that he is teaching them this time. So Luke 24, beginning in verse 44, hear the word of God. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day arise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I don't know how many of y'all have seen some of the entries under the hashtag explain a film plot badly, but it's kind of fun. I've enjoyed kind of scrolling through different ones of these. It's funny just how much you can, you can alter some of the central themes of the, of the plot and still it be recognizable, right? So Lord of the Rings... Great film work from Peter Jackson adapting uh, Tolkien's uh, work. gets described uh, simply this way. Group takes nine hours to return jewelry. (laughs) I love the movie Inception. If I had the chance, I would still love to watch it a few more times. I get into all those kind of things. Uh, But it's described in the hashtag explain a film plot badly as a series of naps. Uh, great classic movies got this treatment as well. So uh, The Wizard of Oz is described this way: American invades foreign land, kills local leadership, struggles to find exit strategy. And I just never thought about Dorothy that way. There she is. Uh, Star Wars, of course, gets a lot of uh, treatment in that. Uh, episode Eight, The Last Jedi, uh, is described uh, this way. Depressed wizard, Luke, right? Depressed wizard comes out of retirement to play prank on nephew. <laughs> right? They're not entirely inaccurate, uh, but there's still so much that's missing, right? I think sometimes we face similar things when we come out to Scripture and, and knowing how to use it. That what we come with up with, and as we deal with it, it's not entirely inaccurate. But sometimes we still miss out on so much of the fullness that's there for us in Scripture. And that's what Jesus is doing here in Luke 24 as he talks with the disciples. They have for sure missed the fullness of the biblical teaching and Jesus' teaching while he was still with them. Right? Because here he is now with them and they have been, they've completely lost it after his crucifixion. 
didn't matter that Jesus told them again and again, I'm going to Jerusalem to be handed over and killed, but the third day I'll rise from the, from the dead. Uh, when he was crucified, they lost it. And now uh, Jesus is present, raised from the dead, as he told them, and he's in their presence eating fish with them, and they still they can't believe it, which is kind of understandable. And they've missed that that's what Scripture was about, that that's what Jesus had been telling them had to happen. That was why he was here and what he was accomplishing. And, and Jesus then here gives them a corrective. Uh, he focuses uh, their attention on what matters. And as he does so, he's, he's helping us as well. Scripture here is given to focus us on how we understand the Bible. What are we to look for? What are we to find as we come uh, to the Bible? We're going to look at it in, in three different sides as we go through the passage. But all of it is that. It's, it's a focusing on, on Christ. As we come to Scripture, it's a focusing on Christ. I want you to, to appreciate the significance of the context here, uh, just how much weight falls on this. Because the beginning of the chapter, we said, is, is the resurrection. The end of the chapter is the ascension. Uh, and Luke tells us a little bit later, first chapter of Acts, that that's about a 40-day period that Jesus was with his disciples and showed himself as alive from the dead. We have, we have very little teaching of what Jesus said during that time. What was he concerned to, to tell his disciples now that he is uh, the resurrected Christ? And this is it. Uh, this is those things that's focusing it for us. Um, and, and Jesus, it says that he, he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. Right? He is focusing them that in this period now as he is going away, our attention is to be directed to the word. That we would find Jesus in the word. So he, he opens their minds to understand the scriptures, which is helpful to Paul and say, anytime we want to understand God's word, we're dependent upon him uh, to bring it into it. But then Jesus makes uh, this statement, right? He opens their minds to understand the scriptures. And then he said, what? And then he said, thus it is written. I like semicolon. Uh, in other words, that Jesus, he's just talked about, right, the, it's the law of Moses and the, and the prophets and the Psalms, the three great divisions of the Old Testament. So he's summing up the whole thing in its entirety, thus it is written. So I don't know if you like Cliff Notes or, you know, you just go to Wikipedia or whatever. You want to get a quick summary of something. Uh, so when Jesus says, thus it is written, what he goes on to say is Jesus' one-sentence summary of the Bible. And it tells us how to, what to focus on every time as we come to Scripture. Uh, so first of all, I want us to, to look at it this way. As he focuses us on Scripture, it's to realize that it's about him and not about us. So as we come to Scripture, we recognize that it's about him and not about us. That the Bible is about Jesus, not about you. And not about us. It's very much written to us. It's very much for us and helpful to us. But it is for us to focus on another. Um, so when Jesus is summing up the Bible in this sentence, what's the subject of that sentence? It's the Christ. Uh, it's, it's the Christ. So first of all, it's about him and not us. Now, 
I know you know that. Many of you know that. I know that. I've studied in seminary to, to you know, work through this. But, it, but even though I know that, when I come to Scripture, what happens? Most of the time as I come to Scripture, the first thing that my mind is jumping to is, okay, what does this have to do with me? Um, how is this supposed to affect my life? Right? I'm first concerned about me as I'm looking at it. That's my, that's my primary. This our, tends to be our go-to. Uh, so, but from what Jesus is saying here, it means that every time that we come to the Bible, hearing it preached, uh, reading it on our own, small groups and Bible studies, every time we come to the Bible, foremost in our minds should be that it's about him and, and not about us. Maybe put it a different way. If you're asking, uh, if you're asking a question as you're studying Scripture, uh, sometimes what we'll look at it and see uh, is to say, all right, what should I, looking at this passage and studying it, what should I do? What should I feel? What should I think or what should I change uh, because of this passage? Right? Which, is a, which is a good question. A helpful question because Scripture ought to produce uh, change in us. It moves us some way. There's a whole lot of worse questions that we sometimes uh, approach Scripture with, uh, like does this matter at all? Am I even able to understand this? How long do I have to have to deal with this? Uh, but even if we come with a good question, uh, what should I do or feel or change because of this passage? It's a good question, but it's not a it's not a good question to start with. It's not the right question to start with, if we understand what Jesus is saying here. In fact, I mean, Scripture gives the answer to that question, but we don't get to it directly, right? It answers it indirectly. Because Jesus says we have to come, start off looking to him and seeing a him in it. Um, that we get to it by asking a different and better question, which is what does this passage show me about Jesus? Every time we come to Scripture, and yes, that's Old Testament as well as New Testament. That's what Jesus is referring to when he's summing up the law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets. Every time we're coming, we're asking, what does this passage show me about Jesus and why we need him? Because that personal response is going to come from seeing him, not just seeing something about maybe that we should do or think differently. As we, it's as we're brought to Jesus. As we're more impressed with him, uh, as we see what he has accomplished and how he has done it uh, for us, we're drawn into him. The change begins uh, to flow out of it. We start to do and think and feel and live uh, differently. I should even just say briefly from this passage, right? As you look at the context, what do you see uh, Jesus doing? And, and it is in the great sense we can say, here's Jesus raised from the dead. Uh, and that absolutely should amaze us and teach us. But he, even just the context right before we read is Jesus uh, with his disciples uh, and the character of his person as he talks to them uh, is outstanding. Right. If, if I just raised from the dead and I'm going to, to talk uh, to, to my disciples, uh, it's, it's going to sound a lot different. Right. Uh, guys, check this out. I can walk through. I can walk through the doors that you had locked and I'm still here right here with you. Um, he's, he's not he's not showing off. He's not just calling them out. Right. Where were you when I was hanging on the tree? Why are you leaving and scattering when I told you all this beforehand? Uh, why did you deny me? Right. He's not just grinding it into them. Or, or this is right after the crucifixion. 
to not come and be standing. Do you realize what I just had to go through for you? But you see, instead, his care, his love for disciples, his desire to be with them and to draw them to himself. He invites more patience from himself. As he says, he's patience with their, with their fingers touching and, and prodding, right? Come and touch me and see that it's me, that I'm alive, that I'm with you. Um, here is his love for them. And especially that he grounds them. He directs them to what will continue to provide for them. It's the grounding point for their lives from now on to the scriptures, opening their minds to the word. So as I say that as you come to scripture, it's about him and not about you. Please hear that as freeing and as liberating because that's what it is, right? Not just kind of this harsh rebuke. It's not about you. Right? It's about him. It's not about you. It's not being selfish. Now, yeah, this, is, this is good uh, for us. This is what our souls need. Because right? we, we do. We all have a certain tendencies to, to start off with some, uh, somewhat of a myopic uh, focus with ourselves at the center because that's how we know life, right? We more quickly know everything that, that affects us and how it happens to us. That's how our, how our knowledge uh, comes. But the more that we grow and the more that you mature, the more that you see that Okay, the universe is a big place, and I'm a very small part of it. Uh, and there's so much else going on, and there are so many other people that matter beyond just my needs of this moment right now, right? So we, so we don't want to be self-centered, and we don't want to be egotistical in the way that we approach life or other people. But we still find ourselves there a lot, uh, and we still find ourselves sometimes seemingly uh, stuck there. So it is immensely helpful then to see what really belongs in the center. How what really does have the right and central place in your life in all of history. And Jesus is saying, it's about me. I, Jesus is saying, he is the Christ. He's the one who has come as the writer of all wrongs. The one who will eventually make things the way that they should be. Uh, He is the one who is the anointed representative of God to bring redemption and justice and salvation. And it's as we see him that everything starts to cohere, that it starts to make sense, that life has a little more uh, meaning in it. You think about it in terms of a story. I think sometimes we just wonder, what's, what's uh, what's the story of your life looking like? Uh, how's it, how's it going to be written? What happens, uh, what happens next? You can wonder even like, you know, uh, what, the, what the title of the next chapter would be. Uh, that's my life right now. And I'm like thinking, what's, what's coming next? Like, I don't even know what the title is going to be of the next chapter, where this is going. You can wonder about your life and say, uh, all right, well, what, like, what kind of story am I in? Is this a, uh, is this a tragedy? Is it, is it a comedy? Is there a romance here? Is this a great epic of overcoming odds and, and victory? Uh, where is it going? Is this going to be the tale not really worth remembering? Is it going to be a happily uh, ever after? Here's the thing, though. As we think about uh, that story, we almost always think about ourselves as the, as the main character. Right? It's, it's, it's rare that you think of yourself as kind of the supporting actor or the supporting actress on the side. Or there was this daydream about what's going to happen, and you're kind of the background figure. Uh, And there's a lot of pressure on the lead role. 
of what are you going to do? How are you going to shape which way the story goes? So Jesus tells the disciples and he tells us when we come to scripture to realize that he's the one in the lead role. And he has executed it perfectly. That he has done all that we need. That our life and our story really only begins to make sense well as we are connected around him. As we see him as the main story and that we get to connect into that. We're not left trying to just create a meaning for ourselves. The scripture is always reminding you he is central and he has done it for you. See, Jesus is focusing us on scripture and as he focuses on the word, he tells us that it's about him, that he is the Christ. There's one sentence summary goes on. Uh, So not only is it uh, about him and not about us, but we can say uh, it's about his experience and not ours primarily. That is primarily about what Jesus has gone through and what he continues to do, uh, not just us. Right? That he is, uh, that thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Uh, this focuses on the Messiah as the representative from God's people, what he would need to do and has done. So, so Paul in 1 Corinthians, uh, he, he sums up the gospel this way. He reminds them of, of, the, of the gospel that he's preached to them as that, the Christ, uh, as that Christ died, that he was buried, uh, that he rose on the third day and, was, and appeared to his disciples. He, he sums it all up that the gospel is the death and resurrection of Jesus. So yes, if you're making the connection, yeah. So that's what the that's the summary of the gospel, and the summary of the whole Bible is the same thing. That we're always finding uh, the truth of the gospel, we see it in what Jesus has done for it, and why uh, we've needed it. So you get these two categories, right? You can talk about the the death and resurrection. Uh, the suffering and rise is the way it's talked about here, right? So you can think of the, the fall and, and the rise or the highs and the lows, even if you will. Uh, a little bit earlier, we was talking to the two men on Emmaus earlier in this chapter. He just, it's messianic suffering and glory and these two uh, big categories of what his experience is. Let me put it that way, the low and the high. And we're to focus on that experience. But again, when I come to Scripture... I think likely for you, a lot of times when we, when we come to Scripture, we're going, all right, how does this affect my experience? Uh, where is this, what's this going to do for the things that I'm going through? I have far more uh, concern and focus on my experience, my highs and lows, uh, more than Jesus's. Do you follow what I'm saying? We're looking uh, to our experience. I have more questions about uh, what I'm suffering at the moment uh, than what Jesus did and why. So approach scripture wondering about my anxiety uh, or, or insecurity. Or when, when there's health problems, we're, we're looking at scripture and that's still what we're concerned about. Uh, or finances are tight. Or there's relationships, difficulty that is just eating you up. Um, Sometimes family problems. Sometimes it's, it's work things. That the issues that are pressing in on our experience are what we come into Scripture and we're saying, okay, what does it mean for this? Why am I hurting? How long am I going to have to be in this low? What's the remedy for it? What is Scripture going to give to me to help me deal with, with my experience? 
It's not just hurting in the lows. Then we're looking at the highs and we're saying, all right, the hopes uh, that I have, uh, the th- when am I going to be able to get uh, what I want? What I feel like I, I need, what I long for. Uh, how do I get to enjoy it? Where is, where is rest uh, for me? Where do I find uh, joy and satisfaction? In other words, to put it this way, a lot of times when we come to the Bible, the question that we're asking uh, is how does this help my experience? We're asking, uh, how can this enhance my experience? That's what I want from the Bible. How can it add to or, or enhance uh, what I'm going through? Or is it going to take away from it? Right? Which is maybe some of the reason why we avoid Scripture. Uh, because we think it doesn't add to uh, what we're going through. And we don't read them. And it's, it's not that the scripture doesn't answer those questions. It speaks into your experience uh, deeply, but it does so by first always pointing you to his experience, to Christ's death and resurrection for us. That his experience uh, matters uh, so much, especially because all of our experience is tied up in what happened to Jesus. If he's the lead uh, role uh, in all of history, then that's true. His highs and lows, Jesus' suffering, uh, his rejection and death. It's not just the the tragic story of an innocent uh, man or even an innocent God-man who is our Savior. But Jesus' suffering is entirely the consequence of his taking on our experience. Uh, taking on our pain and our sorrow and even taking on the fullness of our sin. Right, so Isaiah, as it talks about him, he's, Jesus is a, is a man of sorrows. Uh, that he is someone who is acquainted uh, with grief because he has borne our griefs, the passage says, and carried our sorrows. So he was stricken smitten by God and afflicted. So he suffered and died and was rejected by God on the cross. That he was wounded for our mistakes. He was crushed uh, for our wrongdoing. That upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes, we are healed. Because the pastor says, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So our lows and our suffering and what we worry about is all the fears and consequences from it. Christ has taken on and his experience, his lows are are him carrying us through it and delivering us uh, through the rejection of God, moving us to the other side. Our experience is caught up in his. Instead of staying in the grave, Instead of overburdened uh, by our sins and our sorrows and not able to do anything about it, undone by the burden of it all, he rose on the third day. According to all that the scriptures have said, here is the victory over sin and death, proving that the penalty is satisfied, proving that in your experience as you're clinging to Christ in faith, God's not against you. And the lows that are happening to you isn't because God has his hand away from you or he is rejecting you or he is keeping himself far because he has placed it all on his son. 
And he may be leading you through some very low valleys and hard places, but he is with you in it and it goes through to the other side because Christ has come through the other side and being raised and reigning so that even in our sorrow and the depth of our struggles, scripture describes us as still sharing in Christ's resurrection experience. We're still alive to God. You're alive to know his love and his relationship and his care with you, covering over your sin. You're alive to know the future that he is drawing with you. You you get to still, in a sense, reign even on your life the way that Christ is reigning, but a reign through his spirit uh, in you so that in whatever situation you're in, you can still have peace with God and still love and still sacrifice and still walk forward, but because he carries you. See, Jesus' experience, Jesus' fall and rise are determinative for the Christian. It, It decides what your experience is. It's a sharing in what Jesus has gone through from you, for you. So we know the ultimate outcome, and we have his presence in the middle of it. If you read a a good book, a great book, or or even watch a film, uh, it it helps if there's a well-developed character. And if you relate to that character, and the more that you relate to that main character, you're kind of drawn into what's happening to them. You feel the the plot shift. You feel the anxieties of it. Uh, You start to go through some of the mood and emotions of what this person is, is facing uh, and sometimes you even learn something about yourself in the process. If we, you have to relate into that main character. Uh, here, it's not just can you find a way to relate to Jesus because he's so far beyond us in everything that he's done. And yet this main character that God has given in history as the Christ has chosen to relate to you, has chosen to take on your experience and carry you forward through it. Right, so when, when in Acts, uh, Paul is persecuting the church and trying, and uh, Stephen has been martyred, when Jesus uh, reveals himself to Paul on the road to Damascus, what does he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That Jesus is taking on your sufferings, and he's leading you into his uh, resurrection life. So as Jesus focuses his disciples and focuses us on scripture. It's to always come seeing that it's about him and it's about his experiences primarily. And that that leads out to all the change and development in ours. That we read for his experience and then we get to share in it. Uh, so, So thirdly, if you see what Jesus is saying in the summary here, thus it is written that the Christ... I should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Then he goes on. And this is part of what scripture is summed up as teaching, uh, as proclaiming that it's the truth of it, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning uh, from Jerusalem. It's not just about uh, the person and work of Christ, but about all his benefits on how we get to share in them. 
I think of uh, when it says the, the repentance and forgiveness. And sometimes we just, those are the biblical words and we get those. And, and he's using those here as, as broad categories for all the experiences of Scripture. So forgiveness gets focused on. And in that is, is justification and adoption as God's son. His spirit being with us, sanctifying us, making us more and more like Jesus. And even the, even the promises of glory to come are all involved in this forgiveness. When I hear repentance, I typically think of like, oh, I didn't want to have to do that. Uh, but but this, is, this is the hope. This is the good news. And it, and it hurts to see that Jesus' experience was what we needed. Right? That I was so bad that I needed him to go through death and rejection by God. And my only hope for living well and enduring is his resurrection life. It hurts to see that that's what we need. But here, as it speaks about, and that repentance and forgiveness of his, in his name is to be proclaimed to all nations. It's the opportunity of it. I think about it this way, like a, uh, if you ever got in the library fine, she didn't return the book, and then library fines just kind of keep adding up and adding up if you don't go right away and take the book back like you're supposed to. But uh, sometimes those add up, and if you're, if you're really bad, they add up to a significant amount. But, but occasionally you hear about libraries doing these things where they have the, uh, the, the forgiveness day, right? Like, we don't care how long you've had it. We don't care how big that fine is. We just want you to please bring the book back, right? <laughs> And there's still a little bit of shame where you're like, eh, I've been avoiding the library for a while now. I would like to be able to use it again to show your face there and bring the book back again. But here's the opportunity. It's that day. You can return it and then you can use it all again. Uh, here, because of what Jesus has done, it's forgiveness day. Right? Scripture saying now is the time of, of salvation. Today is the day to call out on him. Repentance is open. And you have to come forward with the shame of the guilt of how much you don't care about God sometimes and how much you've gone your own way and how much it didn't really matter to you that Jesus was going to have to suffer rejection from God because of that. And that weight's piled up. But you get to come and it be removed and it be forgiven. And they're not being shamed, just being welcomed in. It's not the book that God wants back. Uh, that Jesus has come to draw you back into his love. And now is a time of forgiveness. And the beauty of this is that it applies uh, to all humanity. Right? Not just to Jews, or sometimes we think about it, not just to, to those who are currently Christian. Uh, this is a message for Buddhists. This is a message for, for Hindu. Uh, this is a, a message for, uh, for Greeks and Africans and Romans and Norse barbarians and Native Americans. This is a message that's to go out to all nations, all peoples. What Jesus did is the redemption of the humanity, the reversal of the hope. And he has provided all that we need. And so he draws atheists to himself. Uh, and he draws agnostics to himself. He draws disillusioned modern Americans to see that he is what uh, we need. People from all ethnicities and all sexualities and all income levels and all uh, religious and spiritual views and all political views come to see Jesus as their king, that here's the opportunity. As we come to Scripture... 
as we read Scripture and the questions that we ask in Scripture, it's usually still that we kind of focus about us. There's so much that's private as we look at at scripture, right? We use the phrase sometimes like me and my Bible or, or you're having your devotional time, your private uh, devotional time. And that's a, that's a good thing, right? Don't hear me wrong. Please spend time uh, alone in the word. That is good uh, for your soul. Um, but, but notice here that everything that Jesus is talking about is shared. It is shared and communal. And I didn't say to make a pitch for community groups later, and you don't have to be in one of these community groups, but you need the context of community uh, in your life. That what we're dealing with, Jesus brawls us in. It's not just for me, it's for us. It brings us out of an American kind of rugged individualism of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, all those things that kind of leave us in isolation. Because in that isolation, we crumble. And we hurt and we struggle and the devil loves to keep you in that isolation. But Jesus is drawing to himself a new community where what he has done and who he is is shared as central. And instead of, uh, uh, and, and we're called to help one another, reminding and encouraging one another when we're struggling with sin, when we're weak at times in faith, when we're hurting and even failing, to be together, to be pointed uh, to Jesus. And it's not just for those who are already part of that Christian community or part of your community or who are already uh, believers, uh, but to share with everyone else also. There's a time in our culture we're told like, okay, that's your faith and you should keep it private, right? Or or you might have a a non-Christian friend who is saying to you like, I am so glad that that is so valuable to you. You know, when I read scripture, it doesn't do that for me. Oh, that's not my God. I don't, I don't get drawn. But I'm so glad that that's for you. You see that everything that Jesus says doesn't, doesn't leave it there. The weird to know that in everyone that we relate to, what he's done is, is an offer to them to come and find him. It's an offer for you to come. The day of forgiveness is now. I enjoy it. Benefit from his what he shares with us. Uh, it's the deep uh, good news. And it's more than just, just news. Uh, it's more than just the words that you would say as you speak to one another or as you uh, speak to people outside of this church or outside the community of faith. Uh, but it comes deeply in your actions. Uh, the transformation that the gospel uh, brings to the community of faith is part of how the word is proclaimed and seen that here's a bunch of people who aren't better than any other bunch of people that have come in repentance. And they talk and they come and they confess their sins and say they can't really bear the burden or know how to hide the things that they've done, and they say that openly. And then they rejoice in a God who loves. And it changes the way we look at people around us, that we value them because Jesus has valued us. And when you see someone else's sin, it doesn't lead you towards scorn or rejection or why can't they just do better? Jesus has moved toward me. How do I move toward others? How do I share with the benefits of what Jesus has shared with me? How do I draw other people into it? <clears throat> the private time in the Word is worthwhile. It's never just private. 
as Jesus teaches his disciples and teaches us as his followers now to focus on the word. It is his shared benefits that go out to all. So listen, I enjoy the, uh, the, the posts that get made under the hashtag explain a film plot uh, badly. Um, I would also hate to see what kind of things might be posted under the hashtag uh, explain the Bible badly. Uh, that I'm prone towards sometimes, that we can. I don't want us to miss out. Uh, And Jesus teaches us here to come to him, to focus on Christ as we come to the word. I don't care if you're reading Isaiah uh, or Esther or those obscure passages in Leviticus. It really is all pointing you toward him. We're to take comfort. It's all about him. And that he has done it all. And that he is sharing it with you. Instead of being self-centered, we come to Scripture Christ-centered. And that is what will reorient the whole of yourself and the whole of your life more beautifully. Jesus, when he's raised, doesn't just go right up into heaven. But he spends time with his disciples, grounding them in the word, because he wants to draw them and keep them close to him. The same is true for you still. Jesus wants to draw you closer to himself. And the way that he does that is through his word. Jesus is always focusing us on him.